Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Luke chapter 11 this morning, we continue on in our sermon series where we've been reminded that God has invited us to ask. Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless, perfect life. He gave his life on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. He appeared to over 500 witnesses at one time over a month's period of time. And then the Bible says he ascended into heaven and today he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Because Jesus has done all that and made a way for us to approach the throne, the Bible says that we, have been, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help and to find mercy in our time of need. And what that means is, is that God has done everything possible to invite us to come to his throne, to come before him from any place at any time over any matter, and to bring our requests and to bring our prayers and to bring our petitions before him. We have been invited to ask. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And while we've been invited to ask, I'm also though reminded that it can be so easy for us, even though we understand in our minds the privilege that that is, it can be so easy for us to lose sight of that. In fact, as we look at Luke chapter 11 this morning, I believe wholeheartedly what Jesus was speaking of is he's speaking of a people who understand what it means to have a need, what it means to ask to have that need met, but he also understands our tendency to give up in asking. It's easy for us to give up on things, is it not? I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself and say, man, there's a lot of things in life that will cause us to want to give up. In fact, I remember early on in my life as a little child, I I remember wanting something so strongly and finally getting that, and I remember the temptation to give up. As a child, I remember seeing on commercials and advertisements these these cool things called a wood-burning kit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There were these little kits that you could buy. They had wood and they had this, this uh, like a, some sort of a piece of metal. I don't even know what you call the thing. You plug it in and you could burn images and you could sketch images into a piece of wood and then you could paint it. And I remember thinking, man, if I get a wood burning kit, I'm going to be the next famous artist. I, I don't know why that was my dream at the time, but that was my dream at the time. And so I remember asking and begging for this for Christmas. And fortunately, I got that gift for Christmas. And I was so excited. I remember opening this thing. And I remember plugging it in without reading the instructions like good kids will do. And I remember trying to draw the images and trying to to draw them. And three days later, I determined, I don't have what it takes. Three days later, I determined, man, this is a lot of hard work. This takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of diligence and attention to detail. And this is not me. And I gave up and actually I made two things and then gave it to my brother. Merry Christmas, Mark. That's how it went, okay? I wonder, have you ever been tempted to give up? I mean, have you ever wanted to come to the, you come to the place where you had great hopes and great ambitions and great excitement and things were moving forward, but you reached a place where frankly, you just wanted to throw in the towel, I also remember being an older elementary student, early junior high, kind of that time frame in my life. And I remember my mom saying to me, Matthew, I want you to learn to play an instrument. What do you want to play? 
And at the time, I thought it sounded cool to learn the piano. And so I said, I'll learn the piano. And so sure enough, I started taking piano lessons. And I, I took lessons for, I don't know, three, four, five months. And I learned how to pluck away at the piano at different things. And, but then all of a sudden, my friends, man, the cool people were all playing sports, basketball and soccer and football and baseball. And I said, who cares about the piano? And I went and played sports. I gave up on it pretty quickly. I can honestly tell you as, a, as an older man now, I won't tell you exactly my age, but as an older man now, I'm thankful for the time I have playing sports, but I wish I'd stuck with it. I gave up along the way. I wonder this morning if there's anything in your life that you've given up on. There are many things that cause us to give up. In fact, uh, this past week I was reading some articles and reading some statistics about things that influence us to give up along the way. Now, these things are not necessarily biblical. They're just practical observations about things in our life that cause us to give up. And so after reading those statistics and articles, I put them all together for 10 things that cause us to give up. Are you ready? Say yes. Thank you for saying that. All right, number one, what causes us to give up? Why do we give up? Number one, because we fear failure. Isn't that interesting? We fear failure, so we give up and fail. But nonetheless, we fear failure. Number two, we give up because we're more concerned about what others think than what we are trying to achieve. Number three, we give up because we fail once and never try again. Number four, we give up because we see only the failure and not the lesson learned in the failure. Number five, we give up because we don't learn how to discipline ourselves. Number six, we give up because we care more about the end result than the process or the journey to that result. Number seven, we give up because we don't surround ourselves with like-minded people heading in the right direction. Number eight, we give up because we would rather settle for short-term rewards. Number nine, we give up because we are distracted by other things. That's why I gave up the piano years ago. Number 10, we give up because we refuse to make adjustments to be more effective. Have you ever been there? Anything you've ever given up on? Well, while those things are not necessarily biblical, they're just practical observations about human behavior, I'm convinced that in many ways, those same things that cause us to give up with, say, the wood-burning kit or the piano or whatever other thing that we might be thinking of right now, it sadly also often applies to our spiritual life. The same distractions, the same hindrances, the same lack of ease, the same fear of failure that can cause us to give up in other areas of life, unfortunately, can also cause us to give up in our spiritual walk. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, this is the very thing that Jesus is trying to address. He's presenting to us the reality that when it comes to prayer, we should not give up. There are a lot of things in our spiritual life we can give up on, but the one that seems most easy to give up on is giving up on prayer. Perhaps that happens when we pray for something over a period of time and God doesn't answer in the way that we wanted. We can give up. Sometimes when it seems like there's no sign of God working or moving, we can lose hope and lose heart. And as a result, we can give up. Maybe we've been praying about something so long and we haven't seen any evidence at all. We wonder if God even cares or is listening. And as a result, we give up. I wonder this morning... Are you giving up in prayer? From Luke chapter 11, I believe that Jesus could tell us uh, kind of a, a summary of this passage of scripture. What he's saying to us is this. He is saying, don't give up in prayer. Don't give up in prayer. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, but pastor, wait a second, wait a second. 
I pray. I haven't given up in prayer. I mean, I pray at mealtimes and I pray at bedtimes and I pray when I'm driving down the road because I know I'm speeding 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. I mean, I pray all the time. But I wonder when it comes to the specific needs of our heart and life, have we given up in prayer? In Luke chapter 11, I want us to stand to our feet if we're able to do so for the reading of God's word. As we look at this subject, don't give up in prayer. Listen to what the Bible says. Verse one, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Verse five, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? That depends on how he's behaving. No, not really. Verse 13, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't give up in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your word. We know that it is living and it is active, and because it is, God, we ask you through the Holy Spirit today to speak words into our heart and life, speak words of hope, speak words of life. God, I pray that you would convict us where we need it. God, I pray that you would encourage us where we need it. God, and through it all, I pray that you would change us and challenge us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. And may you alone get the praise and the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Don't give up in prayer. Well, we've seen already as we've been looking at this series of being invited to ask, we've seen the example that Jesus, of course, lived as he gave his life and demonstrated his life faithfully praying. As you study the life of Christ, we see that on a regular basis, he would get away from the crowd and he'd get away even from his closest disciples, his followers, and there he would spend time alone with God the Father in prayer. In fact, our pastor scripture here in Luke chapter 11 tells us that once again, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Well, of course, we know that Jesus was praying in this place. And as he's praying in this place, the disciples are watching him and they're watching his example, and they're watching how he prayed. Now, the disciples knew a lot of things about prayer. They had seen the Pharisees in their day pray. They had heard John the Baptist and some of his teachings on prayer. 
But there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. There was something so real and something so personal, something so authentic and and, and relational with God the Father in prayer that they realized in that moment that there was much they didn't know about prayer. And so as they watched the example of Jesus, the Bible says that the disciples had a question. One of them speaks up for the crowd and says, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't pray like you do. We don't seem to connect with God the Father the way that you do. Teach us how to pray. And of course, we see in verses two through four, as we studied a few weeks ago, Jesus gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And in doing so, he tells us about having the right attitude in prayer. He tells us about how we're to approach God in prayer. He tells us about the specific things, the, the requests that we are to ask of God in prayer. And then having given this instruction, Jesus then begins to paint for us a picture. He gives us an illustration. Now, I don't know about you, but I like illustrations. If, uh, if I'm sitting down with you at the lunch table and you're trying to explain something to me, I like illustrations. If I'm sitting down with you and I'm trying to explain something as I did the other day, I start pulling the sugar packets out and I start mapping out how this thing's going to work together. I do that a lot. I'll grab a napkin and I'll write on it. Why? Because I'm trying to paint a picture and give an illustration of some specific truth. Jesus is doing that in this moment. He's modeled prayer. He has instructed prayer. And now he gives a practical illustration to kind of give a window, if you will, to allow his disciples insight to see what he is saying about prayer. If you could sum it up, you could sum it up in five words. It would be Jesus saying, guys, never give up in prayer. What is it that he wants us to know about not giving up in prayer? I believe there's three things we see from Luke chapter 11 that will encourage us and challenge us to never give up in prayer. Number one, I want us to see the demonstration of prayer, the demonstration of prayer. Now, Jesus gives us this story, if you will. He paints this picture, and he tells us about a man who was in his house, most likely with his family. It was midnight, and he was resting well, and everything seemed fine and dandy. Some of you say, oh, I'd love to be in that place right now, in my bed, just resting and relaxing. That's where this guy was. And suddenly, the Bible says, an unexpected guest arrived. Now, we're not told any details. We don't know where this guy came from. We don't know if they were long college buddies from years ago. We don't know if they were distant family. We don't know the details. All we know is that unexpectedly, there was a man who showed up at the door looking for a place to stay. And suddenly, this man gets up. He welcomes him in. He is now the host, if you will. And he's now in a responsibility where he has to take care of his unexpected guest. I don't know about you, but there have been a time or two in my life where I've had an unexpected guest show up. Now, we've had some friends along the way that have called us and have said, are you at home? And, and I kind of pause and say, yes. And they say, great, can we stay there the night? And I say, I'll pray for you. And you know, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, there were numerous times when we lived in Christiansburg. In fact, many of you do not know this, but uh, years ago when a young man by the name of John Welburn and his wife, Ashley, we're coming towards Harrisonburg, Virginia. He called me on a Friday and said, uh, are y'all at home this weekend? And I said, yes. He said, well, can Ashley and I stay the night with y'all tonight? And I said, uh, where are you headed to? He said, I'm heading to Harrisonburg, Virginia to preach at Calvary Crosslink Community Church at that time. Little did I know the plans that God was actually weaving together in the years ahead. But they stayed with us that night and actually watched a football game the next day because that's what godly people do. But anyway... The point is, there was an unexpected guest. 
And being an unexpected guest who arrived, the host wasn't prepared. He didn't have the, the details that he needed. He didn't have the food that he needed. There were many things that were lacking in this moment, but it's in, it is in this moment of lack and it's in this place of insufficiency, if you will, that Jesus is getting us to a powerful picture of prayer. Four things I want you to see in this demonstration of prayer. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the perspective of prayer. The perspective of prayer. Here in this moment, before this unprepared host could do anything, he had to process some things in his mind. Before he would get up and get out of bed, before he would put on his outer coat again, before he'd put on his sandals and leave his house looking for provision, he had to come to a realization. And that realization was that he had a need that he couldn't meet on his own. The right perspective of prayer takes place when we realize our absolute need and dependence on the one to whom we are praying. I wonder this morning how we view prayer. Many of us view prayer as something that's optional. It's an activity that godly people do. Maybe it's something that we should do, and maybe we see it as something we, we want to grow in and be more consistent in. But very few of us, it seems in our culture, see prayer as an absolute need, an act of desperation, if you will. Picture the scene for just a moment with this man. The Bible says that his guest has arrived unexpectedly. He has been welcomed in, and now as the host, he realizes his, his unexpected guest is hungry. His unexpected, unexpected guest is tired and is weary. And so the host, listen, he could have been apathetic. He could have said, well, it's your fault. You didn't let us know in advance you were coming. He could have said, well, you know, the market's closed. We'll wait until tomorrow, and then we'll get you something to eat. But he didn't. He began to process and think through, there's a great need. My guest is hungry. How can I feed him? How can I take care of him? And he begins to process and realize, I have nothing that I can serve him. There's no bread in the house. I, it's midnight. I can't get sticks together and make a fire and try to whip something together. I, I don't have a refrigerator. I don't have a gas stove. There's nothing possible. I don't have a pantry to, to go through. There's nothing to offer. The right perspective of prayer begins the very moment that we have a need. One of Jesus's subtle points in this moment, in this illustration is this. It is not until we understand the depth of our needs that we really learn how to pray. It's not until we learn the depths of our needs that we truly learn how to pray. Effective prayer requires a steadfast dependence on God. I mentioned to you over the last few weeks coming back from Nicaragua and being there on the mission field, and, and frankly, a place that's very poor. They do not have most of the amenities and blessings and frankly, the luxuries that we have in our culture today. And so it's very interesting when you watch them pray, I'm just telling you, they pray with a fervency and with a passion and they pray with a fervor that we seem to never reach in American culture. And the reason why is because in their place of lack and in their place of poverty, frankly, their only hope and their only provision is that they're looking to God and they're saying, God, would you meet the need? God, would you help us? And they're looking to God with desperation. It's not until we truly recognize the depth of our needs that we learn how to pray. Our needs remind us constantly that God is God and we are not. It's in that place of need that we are reminded where our help really comes from. 
I love the way that writer H.B. Charles said it. He said it this way. He said, it does not matter how much you know about prayer. If you are not aware of your neediness and God's sufficiency, you will never learn to pray. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence, but needy people pray. What about you? Do you recognize your needs? Do you try to meet all your needs your own way? Uh, Do you try to go about it your own? Oh, I've got money. I've got time. I've got resources. I can do all these different things. Or are we truly looking to God and calling out to him about the various needs in our life? That is how we have a right perspective of prayer. We recognize our need and we turn to God for his help. I'm reminded of the illustration that was told years ago of a father and a son they were walking one day down a wooded trail. The trail was, was wide and it was smooth and it was cleared out and there were woods all around them. And as they, as they made their way walking through the trail, up in the distance, the father realized there was a large tree branch that had fallen across the trail. And so the father knew they could have stepped over this branch and they could have walked around this branch. But the father wanted this to be a teaching point for his son And so the father stopped for a moment and he brought his son over to the tree branch and he began to teach a life lesson. He said, son, he said, you know, as you're walking down the path of life, there are going to be some obstacles and stumbling blocks along the way. And it's important for you to be a godly man. And so what I want to challenge you to do is remove the obstacles and remove the things that can hinder the people behind you. What he was teaching his son to do was to live a good example and to live a good life for people to come behind them so that they would be able to walk smoothly and walk the right path and not be falling and stumbling along the way. So the father looked at the son. He said, now, son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use all your strength, all your might, and I want you to move this tree branch. The little boy looked up at his dad and he understood what his dad was saying. And so that little boy reached down to that tree branch and he tried to get his arms around it and he tried to muster all that he could to pick that branch up. And he was sweating and he was grunting and he was shrugging those shoulders. And, and, he, and he just said, he said, Daddy, I can't, I can't move this branch. And he said, Son, are you using all your strength? And he said, yes, sir. He said, no, son, you're not using all your strength. Keep on. I know you can move it. And so the little boy then tried a different method. He began to push it and began to do all that he could to try to push that branch as far as he could to get it out of the path. And he's sweating. And after a while, he begins to realize he can't do it. He begins to cry. Daddy, I can't do it. But son, have you used all your strength? Little boy said, daddy, I've used all my strength. The wise father looked back at the son and said, son, you haven't used all your strength because you haven't yet asked me. And at that, that father in a heartbeat reached down, picked up that branch and threw it over in the ditch and his point was made clear. And it's a point for us to understand. So often we do all that we can. We're pushing and we're pulling and we're trying to grasp and we're trying to do and we're trying to do everything that we can. And what God is wanting us to recognize and to see is that he is a good and he is a gracious and he's a loving heavenly father. We don't have to do it all on our own. We can come to him with every need, with every request and we can ask him to work and to move. This incredible understanding, this perspective of prayer begins the moment we recognize our need and we bring our need and ask of God. The second thing we see in this demonstration of prayer is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. Now, picture the scene for a moment. This now unexpected host is in that situation where he realizes I've got nothing to feed my friend. I've got nothing in the house to take care of him. Well, in that moment, guess what happens? his priorities change. Just a few minutes ago, his priority was sleeping, right? Having a peaceful night of rest. 
Just a few minutes ago, his, his priority was likely keeping his family asleep and having a good night's rest and waking up in the morning refreshed and ready for a good day. But now that he realizes his friend is in the house and he has nothing to offer him, immediately his priorities changed. And that priority is this. I can't sit by passively and hope somebody else is going to do something. I'm not going to put off until tomorrow what God's put on my mind and heart to do today. I must get up. I must get out of my comfort zone. I must be inconvenienced, if you will. And I must make asking, interceding for the provision of my friend, my top priority. So he gets up, he welcomes in his friend, as, as I envision it. He puts on his outer coat, he gets his sandals, he goes to his neighbor, goes to another friend. Why? Because he now has a priority. He recognizes in this moment the most important thing he needs to do, it's not to sleep, it's not to make sure his kids keep sleeping, no. It is to make sure his friend is taken care of. So he gets up with the priority of asking on behalf of his friend. Let me ask you a question this morning. When it comes to praying, when it comes to interceding for others, when it comes to recognizing the needs of others, is prayer a priority in your life? It's amazing how when the midnight hour comes, how quickly prayer becomes a priority. It's amazing how when we find ourselves in hopeless situations, how quickly prayer has increased in its importance. But in the normal flow of our life, is prayer the priority in our life? Do you pray? When you have a problem, do you do everything that you can do and try to solve it on your own first? Or do you pray? When something is lost and you can't find it, do you first pray? When midnight falls on you and hopeless situations come upon you, do you first pray or do you try to do everything on your own instead of taking it to God? I'm convinced that many of us as Christians do not pray the way that we ought because frankly, we would rather hang out in the hammock at midnight, sleep and be comfortable and not be inconvenienced by the needs of others. God, help us to be of people who see the priority in prayer. But I'm also convinced in this moment that one of the reasons that so few of us pray, frankly, it's because our priorities are all messed up, all messed up. We have a lot of things going on in life, don't we? I mean, from sporting events and practices and music lessons and jobs and commitments and even ministry responsibilities and community involvements and work-related things. Man, there are counseling sessions. There are so many things going on. Before I began the sermon series, I, I, I don't normally do a lot on Facebook, but I went on Facebook and I, and I asked people to tell me, what are the biggest things that distract you from prayer? What's the biggest thing that hinders you from praying? And most people gave me a four-letter word. You know what it was? Time. No, it was not W-I-F-E. It was not wife. It was time. T-I-M-E. I saw some guy looking at his wife. It was you. No, no. It's time. That was the biggest hindrance, right? The biggest distraction and hindrance of praying is time. Here's the reality. You can pray and ask God for more time. Oh, God, give me another hour in the day. He could do that. That's true. But the reality is for so many of us, it's not that we need more time. It's that we need to be more intentional about the time that we have. It's that we need to be more intentional about the time that we're spending, not on the computer or on sports center or whatever else, but to be intentional about getting along with God the Father in prayer. The things that are important in our life, we make time for. We do. 
If my relationship with my spouse is important to me, guess what I do? I make time for her. If my responsibilities at work are important to me, guess what I do? I make time for those things. If my relationship with God is important, spending time in prayer and interceding for others, if it is important in my life, guess what will happen? I will make time for it. The question is, is it a priority in our lives? As you study American history and study, the, of course, the processes of our country and the various seasons and stages, God has been greatly, he's been so good to us, hasn't he? But there are some parts of our country, if you read through the history, frankly, we we look upon them with sadness and we look upon them with shame, and rightly so. One of the things when you study our history as a nation, one of the errors you come to is this years and eras where slavery was the common practice in our country. We look upon those days with sadness and with shame, really, when you think about how people were treated. But in the midst of some difficult and dark times, there were also some amazing testimonies and stories of how God worked and moved. In fact, many of the individuals who were slaves accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior and lived with dynamic faith. They really did. In fact, they were very bold in their expressions of faith in God. And we see that in two primary ways. They express their faith in God through their praises, through their singing. We have a whole genre of music today called the spirituals that were not just cultural tunes. Most of them were songs about praise of God and what they believed he was going to do in their lives. Amazing. When you, so much we can learn from, from those rich songs. But not only in their praises, we also learn much from the way that they prayed. I don't know if you've ever read about this or not, but it was very common in that culture. Uh, when those individuals were slaves, they did not have their, many didn't have their own houses or their own freedoms, if you will. And so they were still looking for a place to pray. Modeling Jesus's example, many of the slaves would go out into the very fields that they worked in. They would go out at times at night and they would find a place, a specific place for themselves. And they would go there for the purpose of prayer. In fact, we know historically they would go there so often they would get on their knees before God in prayer at their particular spot of the field as sometimes they would lay prostrate on the grass as they would pray. They would do this so regularly that literally their, their knees made indentions over time in the soil and at times where their bodies would lay, guess what would happen? The grass would stop growing. They were so faithful and so consistent in their praying. Literally, the grass in that area where, where Pastor Terry was or where Brother Matthew was or where, where Sister uh, Susie was, literally the grass would stop growing. Those spots on the edges of those fields were a powerful testimony about the priority of prayer in their lives. But they're also powerful points of accountability. Because over time, if somebody began to neglect their place of prayer, they would ask, Brother Jimmy, the place of grass in your spot grows over yonder. Sister Susie, your, your, your place of grass, it's growing over yonder. Oftentimes, as the slaves would join together in worship and hear the preaching of God's word, the pastor would close and he'd ask the question, is there grass growing yonder on your spot? And what he was saying was this, have you been neglecting your time in prayer? Have you been neglecting that place? Has it been a long time since you've been? And it was a powerful witness. Here's the reality for us today. We don't have necessarily that spot, if you will, out in the field, but the reality is God calls us all to have, be a people of prayer, to be intentional, to come before him, to seek his throne and to seek his grace. I wonder if God would ask us today, hey, is there grass growing over yonder 
on your field, what our answer would be. Third thing we see is the petition of prayer. Notice what the man does. The Bible says he, he understands the need. He gets up, he gets himself clothed, he goes to his neighbor, and what does he do? He begins to knock at the door. And the Bible tells us he asked this question. He says, a friend of mine has come from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. Please lend me three loaves of bread. Now, this is how we know this guy was not from the South, because if this guy was from Alabama, he'd already have bread in the house, okay? We know that this guy was not from the South. Now, why did he need three loaves? I have no idea. Why did he need three biscuits? Maybe because he wanted one with butter, one with jelly, and one with sausage and gravy. I'm not sure. But he gave his petition. What I want to see about his petition is this. His petition was very honest and very specific. He wasn't vague in what he was asking. He wasn't asking for a feast. He wasn't asking to kill the fatted calf or anything like that. He was just very honest. Listen, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to set before my guest. Would you please provide me with three loaves of bread, three biscuits in our day, if you will, just three morsels of bread. Would you please meet this need? Now, remember, Jesus is giving this as an illustration of how we are to pray. What does this mean? It means I believe that God is showing us that when we come before him in prayer, we can be honest and we can be specific. Does that mean that we're to limit God by our requests? No. Does that mean that we have to have it all figured out? No. But we can be specific. Whatever the need is in your heart and your life, we can be open and we can be honest with God about the meeting of that need. It causes me to wonder this morning about you and about me. What is the specific need in your life this morning? What is the specific need in your life that you need to ask God to meet? What is the specific need in your marriage that you need to ask God to meet? What is the specific need in your home and in your family where where there's hurt or struggle or confusion or pain or brokenness, what is it? What is the specific need today that you need to ask God for? As a leadership team, as pastors, we meet here at this altar every Tuesday, every Friday. Some of us on Sunday mornings in the other building, we meet for the purpose of prayer, and we're praying specifically for God to meet honest and specific needs that we have in our body. What about the people in our life we intercede for? What are the specific needs of your coworkers and your neighbors and your relatives that you need to be praying for? The Bible says this man was specific in his need, but he was also very humble in his need. He literally admitted in this moment, I have nothing to offer him. This would have been a very shameful thing in his life. And yet he's just honest. He's saying, listen, I, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. Would you please meet this need? You know, the truth be told is that life can be easy in those moments when everything happens as planned, can it? I like things happening as planned. It's a lot more easy to manage and control, right? It's easier for us to, to handle life when everything happens as we plan it to happen. It's easy to manage things in life when the market's open and it's not midnight. It's easy to manage things when we just have to go to the pharmacy and pick up the medication. It's easier in life when we can do what we can do and control everything and work it all out. But you know, I believe one of the reasons God allows these midnight moments in life is to force us to humble ourselves and to seek God for what only he can 
provide. <laughs> That's where this guy's at. It's midnight, no other opportunity but to reach out to someone who can help him. The final thing we see in this demonstration of prayer is his persistence in prayer. Picture the scene for just a moment. He goes to his neighbor and the Bible says he knocks on the door. Hey man, wake up, wake up. Would you please help me? I've got a guest that's come and and I need three loaves of bread, three biscuits, if you will. Would you please help me? And what does the man say in verse seven? He says what you and I would say. Let me ask you a question. What would you say if somebody came and knocked on your door at midnight tonight? You'd say, get thee behind me, say, no, I don't know what you'd say. You would say, go, don't bother me, right? If you come to my house at midnight and knock on the door, I'm going to say as loud and clear as I can, go away. We are sleeping. What does this guy say? Don't bother me. My family and I are sleeping. My kids are already in bed. Don't bother me. Now, now, for us in our culture, it's kind of hard to understand that. But in that day, the houses there were not like our houses today. If you were to come to my house or if I were to go to your house, chances are the front door would be open to more like a living space, a living room, or maybe even a hallway. And then off of that would be a kitchen and would be bedrooms. But that's not how the houses were in that day. And it's not how they are in Haiti or Nicaragua or other places like that today. Typically, they are one-bedroom houses. If you were to go to Haiti tomorrow and we were to go on a missions trip there, we would find that most of their houses are about eight foot by eight foot, 10 foot by 10 foot, something like that. And a dozen people or more will live in them. One bedroom houses. And at nighttime, what they do when it's bedtime, they all come inside the house. If they have a door, they close the door and then they will set out whatever arrangements they have to sleep on. They might have a grass straw mat where they lay on the floor and the really wealthy people have a hammock. But 12 people or more will sleep in that one bedroom house. So you can picture the scene when this guy knocks on the door, it's kind of disturbing everybody. And the guy says, don't bother me. The kids are already asleep. I can't get up and give you anything. That's not going to happen tonight. But notice what he does in verse eight. The Bible says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because it is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Here's the picture. The guy says, don't bother me. The kids are starting to wake up. I can't get up. The door's already been closed. I can't give you what you need. And Jesus says, because of his persistence, his request is answered. And what that means is this guy keeps knocking and he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking. What would you do if somebody keeps knocking? He's, he's knocking and he's asking, please, would you let me have this bread? He's seeking for provision. He's knocking to wake up and get the attention. He keeps on persevering. He's not giving up. He's not throwing in the towel. He's not going back home. He's not leaving the answer. He's not leaving it behind. He's waiting until the door is open. His provision is given and some of you are finally awake. It's awesome. He's persistent. It's almost annoying, isn't it? But he, he's not giving up. Friend, let me ask you, what is it in your life that maybe you asked God to work in and you asked God to move in years ago and God didn't answer, so you just quit asking altogether? What is it in your life that seems like such a huge mountain? It seems like Mount Everest, like, like, like you even begin to wonder, can God even do it? And you quit asking was it that you were praying for at one time, but then you just got distracted and you got busy and you started pursuing all these other things and you just gave up? What Jesus is saying is, get back to knocking. Get back to asking. 
Get back to seeking. It is the demonstration of prayer. I'm reminded of this illustration of not giving up and persevering. In 1952, a young woman by the name of Florence Chadwick stepped off the beach of Catalina Island into the water, determined to swim the shore of mainland California. She was an expert swimmer and had already swam the English Channel. And on this particular day, as she began to swim, it was cold and it was very foggy. She could barely see the boats that were there to accompany her, but she began her swim and she swam minute after minute, hour after hour, 15 hours straight. Incredible perseverance, much more endurance than me. But she swam and she would get tired and she'd get weary and her trainer was in a boat next to her saying, just keep going, you're almost there. Keep swimming, just keep persevering, don't give up. His words encouraged her for a period of time and then finally in just sheer exhaustion, she gave up and she asked to be taken out of the water. It took her out, got her in the boat, clothed her with towels and blankets to warm her up. And the boats took off to shore. Quickly, she discovered when she had come up out of the water, she was only a half mile away from the shore. The next day in a statement, she said, and I quote, I do not want to make excuses for myself. I am the one who asked to be pulled out, but I think that if I could have simply seen the shore, I would have made it. Two months later, she went back for the same exact swim on a sunny day and she made it just fine. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying to you this morning, just because you may feel overwhelmed or weary or disheartened in prayer, don't give up. You may not see the shore. You may not even see the evidence that it's near. You may not have the answer yet, but God is working. God is listening, and your place of provision may be just around the corner. So rely on him, rest in him, and keep bringing your request to him. Second thing I want you to see, you've got to move quickly, is the demand of prayer. What does this whole illustration tell us? In verse 9, Jesus summarizes it. I won't go into every detail because I've preached this verse before, But here's the point. Jesus gives us words of command. These are not suggestions. These are not ideas. This is not a reverent opinion. This is a divine command. Verse nine, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. These words of command in the original language showed an ongoing nature. Literally what Jesus is saying is three commands. Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Keep asking. What is it that God's put on your heart to ask him for? What is it that need that you're needing to trust him for? Keep asking. You say, oh, but, but I'm not seeing God answer it, and I'm not seeing the evidence of it. Keep asking is what Jesus is saying. Keep seeking. Keep seeking God for direction. Keep seeking God for his will. Keep seeking God for the path that he wants you to take. But, but I'm just not sure, and there are so many options before me, and everything seems unclear. Keep seeking is what Jesus is saying. And keep knocking. Keep knocking at the throne of grace. Keep coming before God. Don't give up in doing so. Keep coming to God. It's what Paul had in mind in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, when he literally says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Don't resist. Don't don't let your mind drift away from it. Keep on coming to God. Keep asking. Keep praying without ceasing. In other words, what Jesus is wanting us to see 
is that praying is not something to be done merely in simple cases of emergency. Or it's not something to be done only when it crosses our mind in the moment, but it should be something that we do continually in our life. Persevering prayer is asking, seeking, and knocking until the answer is received, the path is found, and the door is opened. Persevering prayer is asking, seeking, and knocking until the answer is received, the path is found, and the door is open. Which brings us to the final point, and that is this. In Luke chapter 11, we see the delight the delight, the absolute joy of prayer. It kind of comes full circle to what we saw at the very first sermon in this series. What is the delight of prayer? What's the joy? What is it that brings us happiness and pleasure? Here's what it is. Maybe we would read this pastor scripture today and we'd say, Pastor, are you saying that God is like a grouchy, sleepy neighbor? Is that what you're saying? Like we're supposed to come before God asking and knocking and seeking because he's like a grouchy, sleepy neighbor? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I would imagine as a parent, there are times that you use, you use positive examples to teach your children, but there are also some times you use negative examples to teach your children. What Jesus here is doing is he's painting us a picture to contrast how different God really is than this sleepy, grouchy neighbor. I like the way that Warren Wiersbe says it. He says it this way. He says, if a tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of a bothersome friend, how much more will a loving heavenly father meet the needs of his own dear children who ask? God is not like this neighbor. He never sleeps, never gets impatient or irritable, is always generous and delights in meeting the needs of his children. Think of that for just a moment. Listen to what the Bible says. Now, suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He's not going to give him a snake. My kids ask me for something to eat. I'm not going to give them a snake. If, if your son asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. No, a parent would never do that. Verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The delight of prayer is what Jesus is wanting us to see is that when we come before God in prayer, first off, God is not some neighbor that we have to go and find. The Bible says he's a very present help in our time of trouble. The Bible says of Jesus that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When we come before God in prayer, listen, we, we can come before God over any specific need, over any specific request. This man had no idea if this neighbor was going to help him or not. And so he asked with such desperation and such need. Here's the reality. We have a good and gracious, loving Heavenly Father who delights in meeting the needs of his children. Does that mean he gives us everything we ask for? Parents, do you give your children everything they ask for? No. Why not? Because not everything your children ask for is for their good. There have been many things in my life that I have prayed for that I have concluded, you know what, if I got this, if this happened, this would be good. And I prayed desperately, oh God, would you do this? Would you do this? And there have been times along the way that God has said no. You know what, I've lived long enough now to look back and say, you know what? I praise God that his answer was no. Because while it seemed like the best thing in the moment, looking back now, I see from God's plan, that was not what was best. 
Here's the reality. We have a good and gracious heavenly father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. So what does the Bible say in verse 13? If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why the Holy Spirit? Why does God give the Holy Spirit as he says here in this passage of scripture? I believe it's for this reason. It's interesting when you read Matthew chapter 7, the same parallel passage of scripture, it says God gives good gifts. But in Luke chapter 11, it says God gives the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's through the Holy Spirit that God gives us everything we need in our moment of need. It's through the Holy Spirit as we pray and seek God that he gives us grace sufficient for every need. It's through the Holy Spirit in that moment that his mercies are new every single morning. It's through the Holy Spirit that God reminds us of his word and of his promises that are sure and that are true. It's through the Holy Spirit that we come to the realization that even in my weaknesses, by his grace, he makes me strong. It's through the Holy Spirit that even when I suffer and even when I grieve, God works all those things together so that I can encourage others and minister to others. It's through the Holy Spirit that God equips me and gives me gifts to be ministering to the body of Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit that we have the comfort that we need. It's through the Holy Spirit that we have the counsel that we need for every path in life. All these things and more, all good gifts come by God the Father through the Holy Spirit. Does that mean you're going to pray and ask God and God's going to give you a million dollars? Nope. But does it mean through the Holy Spirit, he will give you the assurance and the conviction that he's going to take care of your needs? Absolutely. He will continue to minister to our deepest needs through the person of the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Don't give up in prayer. Some of us have. And I confess in my life, there are some things even recently that God's reminded me of that I once prayed. For whatever reason, I gave up on them. There are some people that I've prayed for that for whatever reason I've given up on There's some situations that I used to take to God urgently and I got distracted. Who is it and what is it that God is convicting you today to come back to the throne of grace to pray for? Closing statement and I'll be through. We'll close in prayer in just a moment. Everything about this lesson on prayer is in the context of a personal relationship with God as our Father. Many of us think that God is the Father of all because God created everybody. And God is the creator of all because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Every person is. Every child is. But here's the reality. We cannot truthfully know God as our Father until we have believed in his son Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus came to this world. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins as a substitute in our very moment. Today, if we put our faith in Jesus to accept him as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says in that very moment of faith, we are adopted into the family of God. And so I want to ask you today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
to make that decision today and as a result, know God as your father. But if you do know God as your father, my hope and prayer is that you'll get back to the throne of grace and you'll refuse to give up in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and lives. I pray even now that you would draw us closer to yourself. God, the various things that have caused us to give up along the way, the various things that have caused us to doubt you, I pray, God, that they would be addressed and dealt with today and that we would leave here with the encouragement of knowing that we're right with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed this morning. Eyes are closed all over the building. Just in a spirit of prayer, in a time of examination, I wonder, how is God speaking to you? If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved by God's grace. He has been so good to forgive me and save me. But God has convicted me today that there are some things in my life that I have given up on in prayer. And God's convicting me today to bring those things back to him, to come back to him, to ask and to, to pray. God's speaking to my heart right now. If that'd be you this morning, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. God has convicted me. There are some things in my life I've given up on in prayer and I don't want to give up any longer. Thank you for your honesty. Second question, maybe you're here today and you haven't really thought about that specific need. You know, the guy in Jesus' story literally asked for three loaves of bread. That sounds so insignificant, but it was significant to him. It was important to him. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I thank God I've been forgiven, I've been saved. There is a specific need in my life that God has put at the forefront of my mind right now. And, and, and for whatever reason, maybe it's just seemed minor and not that big of a deal. Maybe it seemed too big of a deal, it just seemed enormous that, that God wouldn't hear it. But there's a specific need that God's put on your heart today to bring to Him and to trust Him with, to ask of Him. If that would be you, would you just slip up your hand? Pastor, that's me. Pastor, that's me. Thank you for your honesty. God knows that need. Be honest and bring that to him today. Last, certainly not least, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, you talk about knowing God as Father, that all of this praying, all of this conversation, all of this happens in the basis of a relationship with God. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I, I don't have that relationship with God. I, I don't know what that is and I don't know what that's about, but I sure want to know. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you today, would you just slip up your hand? Pastor, that's me. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. For those of you who just raised your hand, I want you to know God loves you. And he loves you so much that in spite of your sin and in spite of my sin, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And God desires for us to be in relationship with him. But in order for that to happen, we have to be forgiven and we have to be cleansed. We have to be changed. We can't change ourselves by our good works and we can't change ourselves by going to church or acting a certain way. The only way we can be forgiven and changed is to accept God's plan of salvation. And God's plan is that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. And literally God promises in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls in the name of Jesus as Lord will be saved. And so if that's you today, say, Pastor, I, I don't have that kind of relationship. I don't know about that. Right now in your seat, would you pray and would you say, God, I do know that I am a sinner and I've done things that aren't right. But God, I believe you love me and you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And then he rose again, just like the Bible says. 
So God, I ask you today to forgive me of all my sin. And I ask you, God, to change me and make me a brand new person. That from this day forward, God, I would live my life in a relationship with you. That every day I would live for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.